This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. All right, we're going to get rolling. I have Marilyn up here with me today. Marilyn Olson. Everybody knows Marilyn. Say hi, Marilyn. Good morning. All right. And uh, some of our sponsors uh, came out today as well. Not all, but some. And some are still uh, being cautious. And either their companies or organizations have asked them to be cautious and avoid groups. Or they themselves felt the need to do that. And so let me just kind of... Maybe start by saying we want to honor whatever decision somebody makes. We're Marilyn and I are in agreement that um, it's time for us to start living again, and we realize that not everybody's ready to do that, and there are some people that aren't, and that's totally fine with us. Which is why we're zooming today, also. Uh, so the people that are listening live, hi from home. We're so glad you're with us. Hi guys, glad you came. And uh, so whether you're at home and you're listening in via Zoom or you're here live, we're just glad to, to be back among the living, yeah? Right? Absolutely. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so is there anybody new in the room? It seems like I recognize everybody, but is there any people that are guests or new to the room? No? Okay, just making sure. We did not advertise, um, as you may have noticed. We didn't put it in the paper. Um, we just didn't feel like um, that was the smart thing to do, but we did want to open it up to our regular attendees. So, hello, this is Walgreens calling. You have a prescription to pick up. <laughs> right, it does, what I'm saying. I was like, that's whenever my phone rings in a group, that's usually what it is. It's some automated thing telling me to come pick something up. Well, you guys know me, I'm Nikki, and uh, Marilyn's going to be up here co presenting with me today, and we're going to be talking about the subject matter, which is very relevant. Uh, all the time, but even more relevant now, which is uh, the truth about attempting or preparing to stay put. Um, you guys have heard the words aging in place, right? A- aging in place is kind of a, I don't know, academic term, you think? Yeah? Um, it's used in the soci- sociology world, and, right? And when I talk with most people, they say, uh, my goal is to stay put, wherever that is, home or wherever they might be living at the time. And a lot of people, even at a at Spanish Cove or a senior living community, when they live in independent living, they want to stay there. They don't want to have to move into assisted living or uh, one of the higher levels of care. So the conversation today um, we're going to have really kind of has three parts. Um, it has what Marilyn and I are going to refer to the hard truths. Um, the second part is some current solutions to being able to stay put in your home if that's what you're choosing to do. And then the third part is the fact that there are many paths. And so we're going to talk about those different paths for people and what that looks like. Um, And then we'll, of course, take questions and talk about uh, current events if you want to. We can talk about resources if you want to. So be jotting down any questions that you have. We do not have an outline for you today. That's on me. Um, I told Marilyn, when she and I talk, we have a tendency to... We, we don't do anything linearly, right? Right. We go all over the place. And so for you to try to follow us, it would be impossible. So we're going we're gonna to cover our talking points, but we're going we're gonna to cover them in a way that feels natural and, and conversational up here for us. I'll just follow your lead. Yeah, Marilyn, you're so good to me. I so appreciate you. Okay, so um, let me give you a little bit of 
context and why Marilyn and I are up here and you know originally we were going to have some of our uh, home care folks who usually speak on this topic from Providence or Synergy and Oklahoma Hospice. We have so many wise and well-read people on this subject matter and not knowing who was going to be able to be here or not uh, I wanted to err on the side of caution and I knew that Marilyn, you know Marilyn has been consulting with people for years uh, informally and formally on the issues of where to live and if they should move and if they do when and how and uh, now as you guys may know her she's the executive director at Villages OKC which is the uh, not-for-profit organization literally chartered to help people stay in place wherever that is right help them live in community safely and healthy and um, so she brings that context to the conversation right lots of perspectives um, Chris and I having been in real estate for the last forever since uh, 1995 and helping people downsize so our perspective is we, we are usually called in to talk with people who are ready to make a change and they either decided what change to make or they need coaching and consulting on what kind of change to make. So we've sat with uh, families and individuals and couples on that topic for many years as well. So just keeping that in mind in terms of the context that we're coming from is people deserve to have choices. Absolutely. Right. And I think probably from my perspective is having lived it and I'm in the middle of it, uh, it's just it's easier to tell somebody else than to do yourself. Sure. And so that's part of what our uh, collegium is to help us make decisions when we wouldn't do it alone. Right. And so in the same way they would consult with you, we are the neighbor that someone might visit with. So. Yeah. And it is, so it, it's an interesting dynamic, because um, when, when I talk to Marilyn, you know, Marilyn is um, in the age group of someone considering their options, right? So. Well, let's just put it like this. I'm vulnerable, right? Right. You're vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. You're in that vulnerable age group. And you should be staying home today. Not only that, I'm probably uh, unnecessary. Or what is that? Non-essential. Non-essential. Yes, right. you're non-essential. Yeah. I feel unnecessary. Right. So can we just can we just dispel some myths real quick on please, that on that front? That. Yeah. So is there a single solitary person in this room who is considered who considers themselves non-essential? I hope not, because if so, we need to have a conversation. Every single person in this room is essential, right? To someone, for something, and definitely as a person, right? That word non-essential just really bugs me. It does me too. Yeah. In fact, it bugs a lot of businesses. So. It does, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and the word vulnerable. Um, I, I kind of went on a Facebook rant earlier this week because of the executive order saying that all people over the age of 65 and those who have these particular illnesses should, the word was should, not shall this time, should stay home. And I about lost it because I thought, who in the world does he think he is? Now obviously he's covering himself, right? And this is kind of a political thing and we know their positioning and all that. But to set politics aside, you should be able to do whatever the heck you want to because we live in a free world. And we've got to be cautious. Can we add that on to the end? Right? So who gets to choose whether they came today? You or the governor? You did. Yeah. Right. By the way, for anybody who did not watch that, 
it's still out there. I would encourage you to take a look at her. My rant. She, it's a well articulated, and uh, uh, they, they're my words, but you did them well. So thank well, you. Senior Living Truth series on Facebook. It's on the Facebook page, yeah. And you know, I just I sat down with my video camera and I just put my earbuds in and I just said what I thought. That was real. Wasn't even I didn't even think about it, rehearse it, or write down any talking points. I was just speaking from the heart. And it came from uh, Marilyn and I both been doing a lot of conversations with people that live both in retirement settings and in their homes, and just getting perspectives from people. And I think that the common thread has been that people are, they feel like they want to make their own decisions and they're not being trusted to do that um, by whomever that might be. And by the way, sometimes it's kids. I have a friend who, he's in his uh, mid-70s and healthy and active, still works, sells real estate in uh, Kansas City, he and his wife. And uh, I saw on Facebook one day, he, his wife had posted that um, their kids had forbade them to go out and that they were being held captive in their home. And I, I, I questioned under the post, I said, forbade? And he, he, he and she both said, yes, our kids have said we are not allowed to go out. And so I just picked up the phone and called them. And I said, Ron, what the heck? Right? You're a grown man. You go out if you want to. He goes, well, it may have been a little overstated. Uh, I said, well, okay, let's be honest here. If you, are you not going out? And he goes, oh, no, we walk the dog, and we've been to the pharmacy, and we go to the grocery store. And I said, then quit putting that crap on Facebook. Because I said, it makes it sound like you're a vulnerable person, and your kids are telling you what to do. We've had uh, both scenarios in uh, our organization. One where the family said, mother, you must not leave. Yeah. And another situation where the family said, we want to be air on the side of caution so we won't be coming by. So the children put it on themselves, which I thought was a much better way than saying what you should do. Right. It felt better to say, this is what we're going to do because we love you. Yeah. And then you've got people like me who my dad, I've talked about many times, has COPD and uh, is really vulnerable. And he's still going to work and running his liquor store every day. And he says, if something's going to kill me and this is it, then so be it. And uh, if I told him to stay home, he'd probably flip me off, you know. I mean, it's just, he's, he's his own person, right? Does that make sense? So what we'd like to do today is honor the fact that you are your own people. We're not up here to shit on anybody. And we encourage you to not shit on anybody else. Fair enough? No shitting. No shitting today. All right. So um, here are a few truths besides the current day ones. Let's just talk about some that are pretty universal. Yes, thank you, should. Yes, I didn't use the other word. Yeah. Uh, people are living healthier and longer. That's a truth, yeah? yeah? They're living healthier longer. And it isn't uncommon for people to continue to work well into their 70s, 80s, and beyond. Um, it isn't uncommon for couples to be married 70 years or longer. Um, it is not uncommon for people to remarry, and uh, and again, you know, and there's age spans between those marriages. I have you know couples that are sometimes 15 years apart, and so on. So these are things that we're seeing um, that cause people to be able to stay in their home longer. Right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Caring for each other uh, often uh, takes care of the other half of things that goes away if, if there's no. 
And, you know, statistically, the, the age gap, like the, when they always say women live longer than men, right? Well, men are closing in on us, ladies. So you're doing a really good job of taking care of your men because they're living longer. That was supposed to be a joke. Only a few people laughed. Okay. All right. So the second, the second truth is the older we get, the more difficult some things become. Can we all agree on that? And that's not just for people over 65. That's from 20 to 30 it's harder. From 30 to 40 it's harder. I'm coming up on 50 next year. And it's harder to do things than it was when I was, you know, 10 years younger. Yeah? And then all of my colleagues and friends tell me that wait till you're 80. All right? And then I have two clients right now out at Spanish Cove that are in their 90s. And they tell me wait till you're 90. Right? So it doesn't get easier. The real question, I think, is the when. Yeah. And it is easier for me to see it for someone else than it is for me to see it for myself. Yeah. So I think the, the hardest thing is maybe not even the what, but it's the when. Yeah. And, and uh, an example of that is with the loss of hearing, and I've just become so much more aware of hearing. Um, as soon as I get my eyes fixed, I'm going to go for my hearing test, so I'm going to try to live what I preach. But uh, it seems to me that hearing really shuts you off from society, and it's so um, uh, sneaky in the way that it, that it attacks you. And so I remember going with my mother, finally, uh, we went for a hearing test, and um, she argued with the uh, uh, audiologist. Thank you, yeah, with the audiologist. And she said, I don't have, and she made me call my brother. So he would tell her that she really was difficult. Uh, you know that her hearing was difficult. Anyway, it was it was hard to accept that. So I'm trying to uh, be more forthright about that and be willing to at least check, and listen to the numbers, and take action on that. But I think um, when when to get the hearing aid, when to, I mean all of those kind of things. It's the when that's the issue. Well, and it's interesting because if you study the psychology of that issue, like her saying, I I'm not hard of hearing. And she told me I just needed to speak louder. Right. Yeah, it's we adapt. We're adaptable people, so we learn to adapt, and so we've adapted, and so we think things are moving on just fine. The people on the outside are looking at us and going, uh, "I see a totally different thing, right?" Because they're seeing it from a different perspective. Uh, pets is another one. Like our our senses change, and they'll say diminish. But they do change, whether they diminish or not. So as we get older, our bodies, our senses change. So our smelling, our sense of smell, our sense of hearing, our sense of taste, everything changes. And a lot of people that have pets for many years um, don't notice that their pet is defecating, I'm just going to say it, on the floor. They don't notice that there is a urine smell. And it's because their sense of smell has been distorted. It's it's changed, and so when you try to tell someone that there is an odor, and they'll they'll flat out deny it. No, my pet does not use the the bathroom on the floor, and I'm like, but there's a spot which they can't see, <laughs> and I can smell it, but they can't smell it. So as we talk today about some of these things, these are truths, right? And that won't happen to everyone, but it can happen to people. And so we've got to have backup, right? We've got to have people in our lives. We have, do you ever have a friend or someone when you're with a friend? And this may be a younger generation thing like our kids, but let me just tell you what happens. So some, and this is girls, so men may not get this. Some girl will walk by in 
clothing that is way too tight and unflattering. And my friend will look at me and go, she doesn't have any friends. Because if she had a friend, they would what? Tell her. Tell her. Exactly right. We all need those friends who will tell you the truth. Yes, your butt looks big in those jeans. Do not wear them. Right? We all need those friends. And by the way, that's usually our spouse until it's not. And so when your spouse is no longer able to do that for you, you got to replace them with somebody who will. One of the things we do is work really hard on giving someone permission yeah. to be that sounding board. So will you tell me when I don't look good in the TV? Right. You know? And uh, uh, I have one daughter in particular who is, um, she's kind, but she's frank, and, and will help me um, get rid of clothing when I need to and, and all of those kind of things. But I have to give permission because the minute I make it difficult, then uh, she's going to back off because it, it's too hard. But a real friend will tell you. Yeah. I have a family member right now in my life, and I won't say who it is um, because it's, it's just not necessary. But he is um, having some cognitive impairment, and he is not taking care of his hygiene like he used to. And he's always been impeccable with his hygiene, haircuts, beard trimmed, clothing, everything. Shower twice a day, because if you mow, you need to go shower kind of thing, right? And he's not showering at all during the week. And we got together for a meal or an appointment, and when he got in my car, it about knocked me down. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to have that conversation, right? And I said, I need to tell you something that you're not going to want to hear. Is that okay with you? And he said, yeah, what? And I said, you have got to take a shower. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you smell bad. And you need a haircut. What's going on? Right? That's a red flag, first of all, that something's going on. But having that conversation, and when I was talking with his, his daughter and his son, I said, you guys have got to tell him when he needs to take a shower. And they were like, oh, we can't tell her dad he needs to take a shower. I said, well, then you're not going to want to take him out to eat. And it's a hard conversation to have. And you don't ever think that will happen to you, right? Nobody thinks that will ever happen to you. This person happens to be only 65 years old, right? This isn't about somebody who is way up there in years. This is a, like you said, it's not about age. It can happen to any of us at any time. Yeah, that's one of the situations I think where good habits can help. Uh, again, I refer to my mother just because she was a good example. But she ate by the clock, because the truth is she wasn't hungry. She drank water by the clock. Mm -hmm. uh, and she you know, was bathing with everything. She just did it as a part of her routine, which protected her. And I know extended her life and certainly made her much easier to live with. So. Um, and for people who don't know, your mom, she just passed uh, a little over a year ago, right? A year ago, February, right. She was 103 and a half, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. she, uh, and, and lived up with Marilyn for how long? Ten years. Ten years, right. But the, the, the key, I think, is not just the long life, but she really was who she was mm -hmm. um, the entire time. So yeah. that her last day, although difficult physically, she still was who she was which means she took care of the important things to her, which was playing the piano, not as long because her shoulder hurt, uh, taking uh, care of her finances and returning all her emails, writing the check to the church. Um, so she checked off the list just like she did every day. Every day was the same way. Yeah. So good habits uh, help 
protect me from myself, maybe it's a good way to say it. Yeah, or at the very least, if your habit, if people know you have these habits and something changes, that's a red flag to say, I need to check on something. Precisely, right. yeah. Right. yeah. Um, the next truth, uh, on the next page, Marilyn, I've got is the world has changed. The world has changed. Can we agree? Yes. Um, specifically, uh, neighbors, helping neighbors is less frequent. Uh, family members nearby to help out is less frequent. Um, the kindness of strangers is less frequent. And there, there are some small remnants of that, right? And there are people trying to recreate that, like villages. Um, senior living communities, certainly, like Spanish Cove and Bradford Village and our others are creating that in their environment. But if you live in a neighborhood, like even in my condo complex, um, somebody said to me the other day, uh, I said, wow, there have been a lot of people at the pool. I've never seen this many people using our community pool. And they said, yeah, all these new people moving in are using the pool. And the people that have lived here before, and most of the people living there bought or built or bought when that was being built. And so what was it, Chris, in the early 80s? Early 80s. And so they were retirees, most of them. And so now, fast forward, many of them are in their 80s and 90s. And so what's happening is they're downsizing out of those two-story townhomes into flats or they're moving out into one levels or into senior living communities. And so now the newer uh, kind of uh, owner is moving in and it's changing. Well, the lady that was telling me this is she said, I don't know anybody here anymore, right? And the people that used to help their neighbor is becoming fewer and far between because they don't know each other, right? So nobody would walk down to my door and say, can I borrow a cup of sugar? because we just don't know everybody. Like, they knew everybody for 20-some-odd years. Um, so, Marilyn, um, let's talk a little bit about widowhood, right? Um, in this, the world has changed. What, what would you say the trend used to be, say, even 20, 30 years ago, when someone lost a spouse, what would happen in the, in the community? Well, family would be a part of the community, of course. Uh, and so, in days gone by, they might be closer. Uh, in the greater community, the church community, the neighborhood community would pitch in and help out as far as filling the gaps and seeing after and so forth. So I think your point about knowing each other is really important because um, you do business with places that you know and trust and you do uh, interaction with people that you can give and take with this reciprocity, I think, that right. you're talking about with the sure. neighborhood. <clears throat> so uh, there was that was easier to come by uh, if people had already made some acquaintances. Sure. You know? And so of course that's what villages is all about is helping people get acquainted. So we have folks you know from Edmond who have met people in Yukon that never would have met, but they have all kinds of, of trust and uh, and uh, benefit by knowing and knowing each other. So uh, did I answer your question? Yeah. No, for sure. And I think. What I think, too, is like my dad used to call people in small-town America, he would say, uh, the widow Henderson, the widow so-and-so, right? And it was kind of like it was known that they were going to look out for those people, right? And now um, what I'm hearing from people is that people avoid them after they're widowed sometimes, unfortunately. Because couples who used to hang out together, now they're not a couple anymore, 
and it's an awkward feeling to be hanging out with other couples when they're widowed. I don't know if that's true for any of you, but I've been hearing that from certain people. I think a little bit of it may be just that all the information that's out there because we sometimes hear more negative than positive. And so all of the sessions that I might go to as a senior adult mostly are about um, fear-based, right. what not to do. Right. So watch out for this, don't do this. And my, my extreme example is, you know, don't go to Penn Square and you know without carrying your purse under your arm. Close your garage door. Don't answer the door unless they have a badge. And for goodness sake, don't talk to strangers. Right. You know? As opposed to my small town that I came, you know, everybody knew everybody generally, maybe not intimately. Right. And so even the younger ones, even the high schoolers, would watch out for some a new widow, for example, uh, because that's everybody had to help each other. Somebody was going to tell your mother. <laughs> you, you, had to, you had to be on your best behavior. Yeah. Um, right. So it, uh, there was an accountability right. that also helped uh, the trust. Right. And, uh, and we knew the scoundrels. We knew the reputation. So I think our great challenge is uh, too much negative information and not, not as uh, getting to taking uh, the effort to get to know somebody well enough so that when there is a situation, a crisis, right. that I will feel free enough to say, can I tell you something hard? Right. Because right. you don't do that on the first meeting. You right. know, this, well, this you better is. not, because there may not be a second meeting. Yeah. You gotta do it on the first meeting. You know, uh, I had a phone call last week from a young lady. I say young lady, I don't know how old she was, what, whatever young is. Uh, she said, uh, I need some help with my mom, I'm, she's living with me currently. She doesn't want to live here anymore. She wants to move out into her own place. She's legally blind. Um, she doesn't doesn't walk well. She has diabetes. She went through this litany of things wrong with her mom, but her mom made the decision she wanted to live independently, and so she was going to honor that. And this would be the eighth time she said she had moved her mom in the last five years. Now, I don't know the dynamics of that, and I don't care to guess. But what she was calling me about was trying to hire us to help her resettle her mom in her new place. She said, I'm exhausted. She said, it's just me. She doesn't have anybody else to help her. That was the other thing is that families used to be big, right? Some of you may be one of nine kids or six kids or five kids. And guess how many kids people are having now? One or two at best. And one or two may or may not be living near, right? Um, and so, it, and so the, the family systems have shrunk down to where, um, this, like this young lady said, she said, I just don't have the energy. I need help. So families are delegating things to paid providers. That's the other kind of thing that's happening in the world. The next truth is social isolation can be as deadly as a disease. I bet some of you are experiencing some of that right now, right? Like being held up in your house. Marilyn, talk about your your experience in talking with some of these folks that are literally shut in during COVID. Well, it's uh, extremely difficult, and um, I think that's why some of us are here today. Is we're saying enough is enough. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make our own decisions. So I think uh, you know it's always a, it's always about choices. But um, we we moved to communities like Spanish Cove and and Bradford Village to be with other people. We're, we're, we're made for community, and so I think it's, it's really important to seek that out. One of the things that's kind of exciting for me is we're finally getting started 
with villages is, of course, we're all about connecting, and we've been doing that mostly through Zoom and, and phone calls and the mail and so forth. But uh, we have started a men's group, or the men have started, called a he-shed. Oh, a he-shed. A he-shed. It's not a she-shed. Not a she-shed. Yeah, it's a he-shed. <clears throat> Basically, just guys getting together because men are accustomed to working, so we need a purpose to meet. And, uh, and you can only have coffee so much and so right. forth. But doing is easier. And so they are fixing things uh, for uh, single women, for themselves, for just fixing things and talking because men talk better when they're doing things. So uh, sometimes you have to look for ways to connect people that are acceptable. Uh, because I've had folks say to me, well, I don't need more friends. I mean, I have all the friends I want. I'm, I'm just fine alone. But but the truth is, they uh, they feel better when some things happen. You know? sure. So if there's a reason, <clears throat> I know uh, in my own case, I would you know reach out, and, and sometimes I would ask them to do it for me. So no one wants to be needy. Right. So to say you need to get some friends or you need to get involved in something else doesn't go down as well as saying I really need you know a little counseling today. Would you meet with me? It does us both good, but may, putting the onus on me makes it a little bit easier. Sure. Just like having something to do right. for, for the guys. Does that make sense? Yeah, reframing it. Yeah. And you know, if I, the fact is, community is really the thing here. Even homebodies, right? There are people that are self proclaimed homebodies, right? Uh, totally fine. And even self proclaimed homebodies need social interaction from time to time. And so, to be isolated or homebound for an extended period of time without the ability to get out is where loneliness comes in, right? There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Like, you guys understand that concept. And the longer people are isolated, the more lonely they become, then the more apathetic they become. And so that's where, you know, uh, again, communication with friends uh, by phone is great until it's not. Because when you no longer hear well, guess what you quit doing? Communicate on the phone. Right. Right. And, and, and with Zoom, as wonderful as it is, I mean, you can't touch. Can't, right. And, uh, and, and we need some, we need that. Um, and You know, there is nothing like a hug from my grandbabies. And I don't care how many Zoom calls we have or how much we FaceTime, there is nothing that can replace the feeling of grabbing that little baby up and shaking him and kissing him on the cheek and then going, ooh, stop it, Dee right? There's just something about that and a hug from your spouse. And then when you're widowed, now you don't have that daily hug from your spouse. And now your kids live out of state and you don't get that weekly hug from them. So the social isolation aspect is a truth. Now, I may not, this may not be a message for you. You may be sitting there going, I don't need that. I don't need that. Well, I guess what my point is, there are people in your life that probably do. And so if you don't, think about the people who might. I know my grandmother uh, on my dad's side, she was very difficult. Very difficult. And um, not a lot of people liked her very much. Do you have her I am probably a lot like her. And uh, she drove a, uh, was it a Dodge Maverick? Is that a Dodge or a Ford Maverick? Little Maverick. And she would spin out of the driveway when she left, throw gravel everywhere. It's hilarious. Um, she was paralyzed in her 40s by a stroke. 
and she was just uh, obnoxious. She would take her cane and she would smack the window at the pharmacy where I worked, so I would come open the door. The pharmacist would say, Nikki, your grandma's here, hurry, go, 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 before she hits the window with her cane, you know. But she didn't get a lot of human interaction contact. She didn't get a lot of hugs. And she, uh, she looked forward to Sundays because my uncle would come with his kids and we'd go over and we, that was her social interaction for the week because people kind of avoided her. And so I think about her frequently. I think how many people are living in a community, a senior living community right now who are used to getting their hug from somebody. And even though they're getting a phone call and even though they're getting some attention, they're not getting those hugs. So social isolation is a big problem. Well, um, let me just interject. Yeah, that. please. One question we've been asking ourselves at, at Villages OKC is name the person that you could go to at any time of the night or day and ask for anything without calling in advance or arranging it. And conversely, name the person that could tell you anything. You know, And so when you get isolated, and if you don't have good habits, it's really easy to let a lot of things slide, be it bathing, eating, drinking, or, or whatever, and really not even realize it. Yeah. So um, it, the socialization is, uh, beneficial in many ways. Well, you recently mentioned to me that you had an incident with someone who had fallen. Right. I think um, it happened last night, actually. Uh, one of our village members had been calling this person for four days, and no response. We're independent, so there's, there was no really reason, but just this gut feeling, something's not right. Uh, called a close friend who's a member, uh, went to the house, couldn't raise anybody, went around back, found her, been lying on the floor for four days. And uh, so sad, nothing broken, but apparently it was dehydration. So she had been alone and um, uh, was not lucid when they, when they picked her up. And so it, it, uh, just forgetting to drink enough, you know, can make you crazy. A UTI can make you that crazy. I mean, so you need somebody to say, your slip is showing, or whatever the, whatever the word is, right? Does anybody wear slips anymore? No, usually it's your skirt's too short. Oh, okay. All right. It's the other way around. Yeah. They don't say um, that to me. <laughs> More truth. A uh, couple of other things. What my husband says is leave a few things to the imagination. Leave so. a few things, yeah. Well, my, my broker says um, she wears those like accessories. That's <laughs> when you know that you need to cover up up here a little bit. Okay. Uh, the more truth. Making a move after decades in the same place only gets harder with age. Um, this is where I just... You know, this isn't a, an advertisement to say you need to move, and, and it's, it's to say nobody I've ever met says they can't wait, they're so excited to move when they get older. Nobody has ever said that to me. Um, it's dread is what people have. They have dread about it. And so they say, I will move. What is it, Jill, when? I'm ready. I'm ready. And I say, well, what does ready look like to you? And they usually say, well, when I have to. Well, what, what does have to look like? That's exactly right. Well, when I can no longer take care of myself or when I can no longer X, fill in the blank. And I'm like, okay, so let's fast forward. We're at that place. If that were to happen to you and you can no longer take care of yourself, who is going to help you choose a place to live and move you there? And they look at me with the blank stare. Now, if they know us from here, they'll say, well, you're doing it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, fair enough. At least you have a plan. 
But most people look at me with a blank stare and they say, I don't, I haven't thought about that. And so if you're going to plan to stay put until you're ready or you have to, then you need to know that 70% of people at some point have to or need to or choose to. But it's usually not a choice at that point, right? If you're younger, more healthy, it's usually a choice. If you're not, it's not. And uh, I'm moving a couple right now. Jill uh, called me, and they're at Spanish Cove, and they're moving out of their independent living community into assisted living. And I'm not really sure why. They haven't told me. I didn't ask. It's none of my business. They're 92 years old, respectively. And um, they're perfectly capable. Nikki, how long have they lived in the They've apartment? been there 20 years. 20 years in the same apartment. At Spanish Cove. At Spanish Cove. And they're genealogists, I'll just say. And they have more stuff than three households of my own. And, but they're choosing to move into assisted living. They have stayed put for 20 years. They had a plan, though. The difference was they had a plan because they knew when they were in Spanish Cove that if or when they needed to, they knew exactly where they would go, who they would call, and who would get them there, right? Most people that live in their own home don't have that strategy mapped out. Does that make sense? So what I would say to you is the truth is it gets harder, not easier, the older you get, uh, specifically if you have a disease process. Well, I think the, your point about decision fatigue is really important. Oh, my, my analogy to that is just cleaning a closet. Sometimes it's not that I don't want to get rid of the stuff, mm -hmm. and, I, and they look like I'm reluctant, right. but the reality is just dealing with it, it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. And so that's why I call daughter number two over, who will sit on the floor and, and so I'll pull out things and, and I'll say, but, you know, but, and she'll say, no, no, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and because of the decision process, it's right. just too agonizing. Yeah. So the decision fatigue is part of it. The other thought is that um, it not only becomes physically harder as you, uh, with age, but the, you don't have the time to develop friendships. Right. Friendships take time and energy. Yeah. And if you're all give out because, because you have to move, you don't have enough energy to create new friendships right. that are the, the uh, life support, right. you know, mental life support. And so I, I, um, I, I need a lot of friends and I need deep friendships. Uh, so broad friendships, deep friendships, and that, that takes time. So I want to uh, work at developing those all right. along. Because I know some are going to be passing away. I mean, I'm not, because I'm living, right? right. So, but uh, some are going to be passing away, and so I need to keep increasing my, my friendships and, and working with them. Because the next truth is, if you don't do that, formal support costs money. And let's just be honest. Um, there is help out there. We have some amazing sponsors and we have people out there that do this for a living. Even our team, you know, people go, it's going to cost me how much to move? I'm like, well, look how much stuff you have. Right? It costs money to hire people to come help you. Unless you have what? Friends. Or family that you like. And that will come help you. And, well, thank you for that. And friends that are in a physical position may not even be about age as much as are physically able to help you. Um, I had a gentleman we helped move a, a year or so, maybe two now. Um, actually, he was part of my dissertation uh, that I did for my doctorate. 
And he said, you know, he said, I have a group of friends. He said, we went and we golfed a lot. And he said, we golfed two or three times a week. And he said, they dropped me off one day at my house. And as I was walking up the steps to my back porch, my legs gave out. He said, I fell. I hit the side of the porch, fell in the bush next to the porch. They fortunately had to go down to the cul-de-sac and make a turn to come back out and saw him laying in the bush and picked him up. And uh, shortly thereafter, within a few days, they told him that we can no longer do this. We can no longer pick you up and take you golfing and bring you home like this because it's not safe. And they themselves said they could not get him out of the bush. Their strength, they didn't have the physical strength. They had to call the fire department and have them come help. So even, you know, so your friendships only go so far. So now formal help. So if you're going to plan, and we're going to get into the planning next, is you've, you've got to plan for having friends, having a deep, uh, trusted social network, and... If you're going to need formal support, potentially, how you're going to pay for that. And it's, it, it's costly. I mean, let's just be honest. It's costly. So if you don't have the means to pay for private formal support, then you need to do some homework on what community programs are available and what kind of subsidized programs we have in the city that you might qualify for. And that takes time, energy, and work to do, even for us as professionals. When someone says, you know, this is my budget, and I go, okay, and I, know, and I know that they can't afford whatever private pay options I have there, I'm like, ah, it, it takes multiple phone calls and many hours to try to locate a service that will work for that person if they qualify for it. And then it takes them many hours of applying. So it's not something you want to start when you're in the midst of a crisis, right? That's exactly right. In fact, I think that's maybe one of the cost is one of the more uh, misunderstood things. I met with a family just recently uh, who were helping parents older, older than me. Uh, and really, they didn't want to interfere, but it was all this kind of thing. And so they were just going to bring some help in. But if you look at, you know, 20 bucks an hour, and if you look at 24 hours a day, because dad was wearing out taking care of mom. I mean, that's 14 grand a month. I mean, you can move to a pretty nice place for 14 grand a month, I would think. Uh, yeah. And so uh, yeah. sometimes it's just having. You could cruise all year round for 14 grand a month, right? It's just having the information to make wise decisions. Like, well, do tell. I didn't know that, you know? Right. And so it was an obvious decision. They also, uh, in this particular case, uh, thought Dad was holding back all the information. He wouldn't tell them the finances and whatever. The truth is, they'd never ask him. So we had a family meeting. It was just amazing how much better everybody felt when you just get some of the facts out there, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Well, and frankly, from, a, from a, a child's standpoint, I would say to you, it's easier if you, as the parent, approach that conversation and say, we want to be forthcoming. This is what we've got going on. This is our budget for should something happen. Then it is for me to come to them and say, you know, I, I don't I don't want to get in your business. I really I mean I do, but I don't, right? But I need to know. It's a very uncomfortable conversation. And I will tell you, my peers, I've surveyed my peers, and they're not doing it. They're not doing it. They're not having those conversations. They are not going to ask their parents. They think their parents don't want to tell them. And it's not that they don't want to tell them, like you said. Uh, it's just everyone's trying to be respectful. And uh, somebody's got to open the conversation. But better, better just not knowing how. Right. Just how, how to start it. And I think it, it's uh, becoming on the adult 
the senior adult to open the conversation. And that's what we work hard at is to say, uh, I'm choosing this. In fact, in, in our gift book, we have a letter that says, you know, this, this is what I want. We've trained you well. And we know you'll make wise decisions and whatever. And, and if when we get to whatever that point is, I don't accept it with grace, please know that that's not the real me. This right. is the real me. Right. So listen to this. Put that in writing, you know. Yeah. Because uh, it is difficult. Yeah. And um, uh, so we're, we're trying to develop a culture of uh, senior adults who take the lead in that rather than be the hesitant one. And to change how others view that, you know, we're not being you know, a banker, I may have said this to you guys before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. I, I was talking to our banker one day at Bank First, and he made a comment to me in the course of conversation. He said, people care more about their money than their health. He said, people care more about their money than their health. And I, I contemplated that for a moment, and I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, people will come in here all the time. He said, and they are so worried about their money, but he said, they will be... Um, not taking care of their health. And they will save their money and not use it to take care of their health. And what a lot of people have told me is they want to leave an inheritance to their kids. And I'm like, you know what, that's really nice. Your kids, what they really want, and not to say that they don't want your money, I'm not saying that, they may, but what they really rather is not have the responsibility of having to fund your health care should you need it. And they would rather you use your money to do that. That's the best inheritance you can give your kids is taking care of yourself so that they aren't obligated or responsible for doing that. Uh, whatever money's left over, that's their inheritance, right? Um, forsaking your health and your care and what you need isn't what they would want. And if it is, then... Um, Maybe we got to rethink. That's really true of all planning. Yeah. Uh, give it what Linda does with the pre-planning. All right. of those things are gifts, those are gifts. to the children yeah. that take care of things that eliminate yeah. so much stress. Yeah. It's not just the cost, but it's the stress of it, and then just wanting to do the right thing. So I think senior adults stepping up, making the plans, putting it in writing, doing the best you can, and articulating it, and then changing periodically is. The, one of, one of the best things that we can do, maybe, is uh, should be listed as an inheritance. Maybe. We need to reframe what an inheritance is, right? Yeah. Could be a good name. Yeah. Could be goodwill. Yeah. Uh, could be a lot of cash. Yeah. But I suspect that it's uh, uh, things in order. Yeah. Leaving an example to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some solutions, Marilyn. Uh, we talked about the truths and the problems. and. So, uh, can we solve all the problems? Yes or no? No. No, we're not going to solve them all today. What we'd like to do is maybe plug some holes, <laughs> right, that you have in some of the problems you might experience yourself. So, first, the first thing that came up for me, and I shot this over to Marilyn, and she agreed that this is probably the one thing that we all have control over, um, at least some control over, that we have got to pay attention to in terms of, remember, this is about how to stay in place, how to remain independent and live wherever it is you choose to live. And that is to stay physically healthy and strong, both in body and mind. To stay physically healthy and strong, both in body and mind. Now, we have some control over some disease processes, right? But we do not have 100% control over all disease processes or illnesses or accidents. So, we're not saying that you can control whether or not you develop uh, a disease or have a stroke or get cancer, but what we're saying is 
there are some things we have control over, so let's control them. And so some of those things are uh, like the brain initiative that you guys are doing. Um, they have proven that just because you're aging doesn't mean that your brain stops developing. They know with, with no doubt that our brains are, are, have pla what they call plasticity, right? They can develop, you can grow, you can learn. And uh, what are some of the things you guys are learning well, through that brain initiative? One of the key things is diet. And I would say, I would add to that, is weight. It's really easy to put on five pounds every year. And at some point, you have to put a stop to that. I work really hard to get back down to my wedding weight. I uh, still can't get in the wedding dress because the weight is in a different spot. It's in spot. a different spot, yeah. yeah. We could um, have that dress so altered, I bet you. You think so? We could. It's pretty thin. i tell you what. It's cheaper to have the dress altered than to alter where the weight is. I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> so diet is one, and exercise, and exercise is just keeping moving. And one of the great things that we've learned in this brain initiative that we have going now weekly is to do a smidgen. Just do one little thing every day. Just keep the ball moving forward. And it's like this, if there's a ramp that slopes up, and if you have a marble on this ramp, if you stop, it's going to roll back. So you just got to keep, keep it moving up. It doesn't have to go far. It could even be a real, uh, right. a, 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 a small incline, but still keep it moving forward. So diet, exercise, uh, doing something new, doing something challenging like a language. Something new would be like going home a different way. I mean, just a simple thing, writing with the other hand, just once, you know. And, uh, and then uh, to eliminate stress, which, which uh, is identified by love or uh, companionship and, and community. And forgiveness. Right. And right, right. faithfulness. Right. You know, uh, I, it reminds me when you said that about diet, you would think, you know, diet is all about weight and, and keeping your blood sugar and your cholesterol and all that in check. But guess what? Your diet affects your cognition, your brain. Uh, the, the family member I was talking about earlier uh, lives on a really healthy diet of Brahms and um, uh, Casa Perico and uh, IHOP and what's the other one, Chris, that I see on there? What is it? Sonic. And everything he eats is high carb, high fat, and he drinks virtually no water. Dr. Pepper all day long. So here's what I'm saying to you. If there's a reason that there's some cognitive problems, there's a reason. And it's not just cognitive. It, it, the diet definitely affects that. Now, I don't, as a, as a family member, I don't, I can't do anything about that. Short of going over there and literally cooking or providing meals at every meal, right, do I control how that person eats? Well, it's really about choices. It's about choices. And, uh... Uh, a real interesting example is I went on this uh, reading research about uh, uh, taking zinc, keeping your immune system up, right. and, and drop some weight, whatever. And my brother wouldn't listen to anything because he never did listen to anything I said right. anyway. So, um, and all of a sudden now, about seven years later, he decided. And so he's telling me, "Have you read this?" Have you? It's like that's what I said all along. So until each person right. makes their own choice. Right. It just it doesn't become real to them, and that's that's why we have to have good friends who will open the door. But it still is up to us right, to okay. accept and, and, and take action. So you can't even get your spouse sometimes to do it, right? I mean, let's be honest, you know, right, Chris? 
<clears throat> All right, next. <laughs> next. Um, well, and I, you know, I made a side note here on, on that topic of healthy, strong. You know, occupational therapy, uh, physical therapy, personal trainers, group and individual fitness classes, sports hobbies. You know, Karen, you said you started uh, doing your fitness class, CrossFit, right? Uh, about 10 years ago? Three years ago. Really? So you wished it was 10 years ago, yeah. And you said you're the oldest one in the class by a long shot, right? And you're loving it. Loving it. Yeah, and are you noticing it physically? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so, you know, this is this is the thing about uh, if you don't go to a fitness class or whatever, maybe health-wise you do need to have some physical therapy or you need to have occupational therapy come in. You need to have a therapist come in. Once you do that, here's what I hear most people say is I'll say, are you still doing that physical therapy? And they go, no, Medicare's no longer paying for it. Well, guess what they're doing now? Nothing. Well, just because Medicare's not paying for it anymore doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it, right? So, you know, don't let that be your excuse. Um, the next one that we said, you know, if you're staying healthy and strong, you can stay put longer for sure. The other thing is to have a community of peers, and we've been alluding to this all along, and that is deepening those relationships. And uh, it's not easy, you know, I, I think about how did people used to build these relationships? What are some of the main ways people developed relationships in, say, the last 20 years up to this point? Where did they come from? Where did your relationships originate? Work. Work. Where else? Church. Church. Where else? Yeah, fraternal and, so and social organizations. What else? Your children, when they were growing up and, and their relationships kind of extended to yours. Is that what you're thinking? Other parents. Other parents, right. Yeah, right. Their network. Yeah. What else? Neighbors. Yeah. What else? Okay. So all, of all the ones we named... Think about the evolution of those. If you're no longer working, what happens to those relationships? Some of them stick, but most of them don't, right? What about church? Um, how do those relationships, do they translate into everyday life? Most of the time not, right? They're church friends. We, we even call them church friends for a reason. Because <laughs> we, we like them and we go to church with them. That's about it, right? Well, even if they do provide some support, it's short term. It is, yeah. And for anything long term, it just, they can't. So the, the fraternal and social organizations you're referring to, I was a member of Kiwanis for years, um, and I loved that group. And it was mostly retirees. There were a few that were not. And that club disbanded because the members began to pass away and or weren't physically able to make it to the meetings. And so those Kiwanis, Rotary, all of those organizations are shrinking in size. And, and, and younger people are not joining at all. Yeah. So those, those ways of developing relationships have evolved. They haven't ended. They have evolved. They've evolved into things like villages. They've evolved into things like Spanish Coves groups out there and Bradford Village groups out there. And so people have found new ways to find their network. It's not that they're gone. It's just that they're a little bit more challenging to plug into. And if you don't know about them, you can't plug into them, right? So what would you say? Uh, let me ask you this. Some of you guys are big into, don't mean you play pickleball, right? 
No, what is it you play? Basketball. Who is it that plays pickleball? Must not be here today, but I've got some avid pickleball players. So the question is, if you were ill or had surgery, and you needed someone to come over and help you bathe for a week or so, or change some dressings, or bring you meals, would those people in that group do that with you or for you? You doubt it. No. Okay. So this is what we're saying is that you may have a lot of friendships, but the question is, is their purpose, do they have a mutual uh, understanding that care is involved in that? And that's the difference. It used to be churches were that way. It used to be that when someone in your Sunday school classroom was sick, I know in my small town, everybody set up a meal calendar and somebody delivered a meal three times a day to that person's house until they were well. Are we doing that now? Some churches may, but I don't know very many who are. So the villages, and I'm doing a little promo for them, because the, those groups around the country, that's what they formed for, that's their purpose. It's organized it's, friendships. It's organized friendships. That's their purpose and, and support. That's right. We had a, a situation that just happened recently. Uh, uh, a very active widow. I think she's been widowed since uh, age 54. But she was used to going everywhere. So she kept a very busy schedule at the Civic Center and everywhere else. Uh, but because of the COVID, she was isolated and she was going through some chemo. So she was very careful. Um, had worked through late night, uh, actually on some village projects because that's, it was now her work. So right. gave her something to do. Um, and she said she began to feel, feel a little funny late at night. So it was now 11-ish. And uh, she called her sister, didn't answer. Uh, called a nurse friend of hers uh, who didn't answer. And she said, what am I going to do? My daughter lives way north Edmond. I live way south. I don't really want to bother. And maybe it's nothing. And maybe it'll go away. And you know, I think I'll check my blood pressure. Couldn't get the cuff to work. Then she got more anxious. Right. Because late at night when you're anxious right. and nobody can talk you, you know, right. off the ledge. Uh, and she said, I happen to think, I have a list of village members, and I, I happen to remember, I think Elaine was a nurse, and I, maybe, I, don't, I really don't know her that well, but I, I, I trust her, because we did background check and all that. So she called Elaine, and um, it's not our normal system to call right. directly, but she did. Uh, she came over within minutes, assessed the situation, and said, uh, you know. Brought her blood pressure cuff, I bet. Oh, yes. Blood, blood pressure cuff and a stethoscope. And just and talk calmly and you know put the things in order. Um, so the short of it was, she said, "You really need to go to the hospital." And she said, "Would you take me?" And the nurse, uh, village member, said, "I am not thinking that's a good idea." And so really, she began to listen now to her friend. Uh, in the meantime, she had her drink forty glasses of water. Forty. Forty. Because she she assumed she was probably dehydrated. Yeah, yeah. So while they talked through this process, ultimately called 911 and spent the night at the heart hospital uh, and is seeing a cardiologist uh, now. So, And the village member went with her? Did not. Did not. Okay. Did not, but called the daughter, right. uh, was able to close the house electronically and all this kind of stuff, and uh, met her at the hospital, so the daughter met her. So it provided that interface. Right. She felt good about calling a neighbor. Right. where she didn't feel as comfortable calling her daughter way far away because she didn't want to bother, right. you know. But neighbors are willing to be bothered because she had helped her sure. previously yeah. in a whole other situation. Right. So the issue is um, more friends who are willing and 
available to do that. Um, the third point on this strategy I put is create a plan B and write down your wishes. Create a plan B. And what I mean by plan B is, you know, people will say, I'm going to stay put until I no longer can live here anymore or until I'm ready. And then my question is, then what? And I get the blank stare. Then what? But I'm going to die in my sleep. <laughs> yeah, sure. Quietly, in the night. One half of one percent. One half of one percent of people die that way. So I, I think the, the question is, if you're going to stay put, that's great. And we want to help you do that. Every one of us in this room wants people to have what they want. And if it can't happen, then what? Um, and so to have that plan. And one of the reasons we do these seminars is for that reason. And that's why we bring panels up here of people with senior communities to talk about their experience. That's why we bring people up with health care to talk about what they bring to the table. Because what we think we want is great, but you've got to have a plan B. Marilyn said to me on the phone the other day uh, that she said, everything but marriage, you need to have a plan B, right? And I thought to myself, I didn't tell her this, but I'm going to tell you now. I've always had a plan B, even for my marriage. Oh. <laughs> right, Chris? <laughs> if something happens to Chris, I want a backup plan. It's not been until about the last 10 years that I've decided my backup plan is I don't want another man. That's my plan B. I'm going to join the villages and create a bunch of friends and be done with it. <laughs> it does take a while to train them. It does take a while to train them. But I, I, I say to you, not, and I'm, I don't mean to, to make a joke of it, but it's the truth, and that is that we don't want to think about the things that are hard, right? We just don't. And I'm not saying wish them into your world. I am saying at least open your mind to the fact that you may at some point need to make that decision. And if you do, it's better to have a plan and have it written down for whomever it might be, whether it's your kids or your family member, uh, niece, nephew, neighbor, whoever it might be. If you have a, uh, if you do not have kids or you do not have family members, then you've got another gap to fill, right? Which is you've got to have a professional that you can trust that can help you to facilitate that plan or a friend. Um, that's why we have on, in our sponsorship group, we have John Branscombe, who owns Guardian Angel Elder Care Services, because he serves as a uh, fiduciary for people, and he charges 70 bucks an hour, basically. So you're, you're basically hiring someone to help you execute whatever plan it is uh, you have in place. And he's not going to create the plan for you. But he'll help you execute. Now he'll help you create the plan, but he can't do it in a crisis. Why? Because he won't. He doesn't know what you want. Now here, let's just take it a step further. This is a this is a slippery slope. But here's the thing, John. The reason John got into doing what he's doing now is because guess what? People don't have a plan, and then he is assigned to them by the court system as a guardian. And now, a perfect stranger. Well-meaning, well-intentioned is going to create your plan of where you're going to live and how you're going to live for you with no guidance whatsoever because you didn't leave anything for them to plan by. Right? Does that make sense? you hear me? So this plan B is not just 
oh, I think if I something happened, I think I'll move to Bradford Village. I think I'm going to move out there to Spanish Cove. That's not a plan. A plan is I've checked it out. I know I can afford it. I know I'll qualify. And I've written it down for somebody and told them this is what I want. One other thing, Nikki, is that uh, I have a responsibility to my friends to help them make a plan, too. So not only for myself, but also to bring up the topic to someone else, to be a leader among my group, uh, so that we're all raising our votes. Yeah. And you know, it's much more fun to do with friends. Right? How many of you guys have gone on the tours with us for the senior living communities? I know several of you have. Right? It's fun, isn't it? Right? Caitlin, Jill, it's fun for them to come out, right? Um, were you ticked off that they didn't all move in that week? No. The, the goal was for you to check it out learn about it, right? And uh, I forget who it was, uh, Jill, that I talked to last week, and also Caitlin. I'm helping people move into both of those communities in the next little bit. And they said, we've been on their list for something like 10 years or something, right? Like they've been thinking about this. That's their plan for 10 years. That's how it should be, right? It shouldn't be tomorrow, uh, Friday at 3 o'clock, somebody gets a phone call and says, we need to find a place ASAP because mom's discharging out of the hospital. And that's how it happens the majority of the time. That's why we do these seminars. I mean, frankly, is to help you plan. Um, number four, um, well, let me back up. Before I go to number four, let me say this, because I made a note to myself. It's not just about senior communities, because not, senior communities is not for everybody, by the way. Not everybody's going to fall in love with that option. And they're going to say, you know what, I want to stay in my home or in my community. Then you darn sure better have a meeting with Synergy Home Care, with Providence Home Care, with Oklahoma Palliative and Hospice Care, with uh, Linda back there with Director's Life Assurance, to put the plan in place for what kind of care you will be looking at should you decide not to move to a con continuing care retirement community. So if you're going to need care in your home, go ahead and do that research. They don't mind talking to you as well. They would rather you call and ask them how their services work and what the charges would be and how that you know functions than not. They would rather you do that research. They really would. Okay, number three. Um, number four, sorry. Get your affairs in order and keep them current. Get your affairs in order. You referred to the gift. Go ahead and talk about that a little bit. The gift is basically a notebook. Uh, Dr. Joe's been through it and several of us, I can't remember, um, where we put our information. So it's not the estate plan, it's not the trust, but it's where I put my information in an organized fashion <clears throat> so that someone who could help me <clears throat> short term uh, in a crisis, a broken hip or something, or longer term would know what I wanted. Well, mainly it helps me think it through. It forces me to, to think about, okay, if I were to choose a retirement community, which one? Well, then I need to go tour some and find out all the details to make a decision. <clears throat> and then just to organize <clears throat> the other information, I'm good. Uh, veterans information and so forth. Um, there's some things that we just don't think about till we till we write them down, and it gives us what I would call an algorithm, so that if this happens, then this. So if if uh, husband dies first, this is what we want. If I die first, then this is what we want. And so we uh, make those plans and, and put those in writing, and then hold a family meeting 
so that the, uh, the family knows what, we, what we've done. We've set a good example. We've also uh, thought it through, which they appreciate. Uh, my own daughter said, yes, the notebook. I mean, she's been you know, looking forward to it because she would be the one right. to, to make the decision. And then- Is that daughter uh, number two? Uh, no, that's daughter number two. Daughter number two. Yeah, they each have their own place. Okay. Uh, the interesting thing is that it prompts them to take action, which is like what I think seniors should be the leaders. Right. Seniors should be showing the way. They don't know how to age, and we need to be showing them. And so it happened recently in our family. So we were finishing, the first time we all got together in the, after this COVID stuff, uh, youngest daughter said, oh, uh, someone, I guess a brother-in-law said, I heard Dana is about to put you away, Reuben. <laughs> Which means they had had a discussion about pre-planning, okay? And so in the conversation, they asked my mother-in-law, who is 90, she'll turn 99 this year, uh, where, what cemetery did you pick? And what are you gonna do? Well, you know you can bury him too deep. Well, you know you can cremate. I mean, this whole discussion around the table happened because somebody took some action. And so my, my uh, urgency is for the people of my age group and, and is to follow a good example like I had a good example and lead the way rather than being drugged there. Right. It, it is about leading and setting an example. And I, I forget what I read, and maybe you can fill in the blank, where they said, uh, we're all elders in training. And so we're the elder, right? I'm, I'm, I'm training to be an older person. And so how, do, how does one learn how to age well? They look at the people in their lives, mentors, family, and, and loved ones, and they follow suit. That's how, that's how we live. That's how we've all done it all these years. And I look now and I go, who are my examples? And I have some really good examples, and I have some not so good examples. And I want my kids to have a clear path, right? Now they can still take their own road and do it their own way. But did you know also, and Linda probably knew this more than anybody, but I didn't know until last week, the client told me, did you know you can rent a casket? Sure. You can rent a casket. Now, if you're going to be cremated, that's the way you do it. If you're going to be cremated and you're going to have a, a, an open, not an open casket, but just a, a, and the reason that this lady told me about it, she said her husband had a uh, military uh, funeral. He had, uh, he had, I forget exactly what it was, but they, she wanted the flag on the casket at the ceremony, but, um, but they were not burying him, and so she rented a casket. And she said it was the nicest casket. It was so beautiful. It was far nicer than one I could afford. And so I said, now they didn't bury it. She goes, no, 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 you don't bury it. They just, you just use it. It's just a prop. Well, who knew, Marilyn, right? And those are the kinds of things you learn around a table of people when you're planning, right, Linda? Yeah. Right? And that's the things you learn from professionals who are helping you plan these things. Well, you asked about the gift, and basically we take about four weeks to go through questions like that that just kind of prompt each other in the discussion around the table. Usually we have at least a dozen people. And that discussion helps us do what we might have put off alone. Uh, in fact, for about a year, we gave away the outline for the gift here right. at the Senior Living Truth Series. Yes, a lot of people probably and, have it. Uh, one, uh, to my knowledge, only one person ever created their own notebook. Oh, is that right? So the classes help, yeah. help because it's, it's better to do things with. Right. And, uh, and so taking action on that. The other quick example is then you can know where to find it. Right. All the information is in one place. I talked to Fred this last week and he said, I have all my information filed 
And his wife was rolling her eyes saying, yes, but nobody knows his filing system. You know? I had another lady who said, very, she's got everything totally taken care of, pre-planning and everything. And then I said, now where would I find that? I would assume it was in the filing cabinet. And she said, oh, in the back of the closet in the toolbox, of course. Of course. So, because that's, that's where she thought the right. boogeyman might not sure. work, you know. Sure. But if I were the responsible person, I would be extremely frustrated trying to find her information in order to follow her wishes. Uh, to your point, we helped a client of ours who used to come to the Truth Series regularly and who is now unable to uh, clean out her, her house because she moved into assisted living. And we were just, I was doing a Zoom call with her saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? Because she can't leave. And we were up on the, the plate rack thing up above the, uh, in the kitchen where you, what do you call it, plate, plate shelf? And she had these, um, like, beer mug things up there. And we got to the very last one. There were, like, 12 of them or something. We got the very last one. She said, yeah, I definitely want that one. So we pulled it down. And guess what was inside? Nice. Safety deposit box key. <laughs> Safety deposit box key. Her financial planner knew that she had a safety deposit box but couldn't get into it. That happens to children all the time. Safety box. Had we not gone through her items and literally she hadn't chosen that one <laughs> and we pulled it down, we wouldn't have found that safety deposit box key, guys. So there's just, you know, we think we're doing the right thing, but sometimes uh, conveying that information is uh, uber critical. Uh, we have two amazing attorneys as sponsors, uh, Steve Cortez with Cortez Law and Jennifer Wright with, um, I always get these backwards, how to say them, um, Morris Ball Low or Low Morris Ball? Ball Morris Low, yes. Uh, and they're, they're state, helping people do estate planning. And, you know, they are, they've done free consultations for people just to see if what their paperwork they currently have in place is up to date. Um, and what they found is that a lot of people have done their estate plan, but they haven't updated them since tax laws changed. And so they just need an update. And so there are things like that that, you know, not only do you need to create the plan that goes beyond your, your attorney's plan, you know, it needs to go on through your end-of-life plan, but then having that updated on an ongoing basis, if any changes take place, is, is equally as important. And so uh, number five in the last item, and then we'll have some conversation around this one, is to take action on the home place. Take action on the home place now. And so what can you do to make the place you're living the best possible place for you? And what does that look like? It means looking ahead. It does. And, you I, know, I'm reasonably active. Uh, I'm learning to play pickleball. And I am, I'm moving about a lot and, and involved in life. But we have grab bars. We have, we have taken steps. In fact, uh, this weekend, Jim's making a new step just to, just to make sure that we have as much physical things in place uh, that are would prevent an issue. Right. Even uh, lowering some of the items that I need to reach for on the cabinets, mm -hmm. just moving them down yeah. so that they're easily reached and I don't have to get up on a stool. So thinking ahead, because right. uh, I want to be the best man for a long time. And that takes some significant work. You yeah, know. it does. 
And, you know, um, people say, well, gosh, grab arms. You know, I don't want to look like an old person. I don't want to do this, that, and the other. I'm like, you know, it's pretty commonplace now. And actually, the new um, durable, what they call durable medical equipment is actually somewhat aesthetically nice, right? They've kind of made some changes to where it's not unappealing. And uh, little things that you can do, like putting in a high-rise uh, toilet instead of the low seat toilet seat. And, you know, just those kind of things. Cabinets. Um, uh, door handles rather instead of having door handles like this having the lever door handles you can do that over time right it doesn't all have to be done at once but that those are just the kinds of things um, I tell you somebody who usually comes to our seminars regularly his name's Eddie Sisson um, his wife uh, passed away a while a few years back and she they had built a house and he I mean, he did the most research I've seen anybody ever do when they built this house. And they built that house for her to live in until she died. And they did an amazing job with the, the counter height and the door widths and the handles and the appliances where she could get to things from a wheelchair. And it was really impressive. Um, and he's very proud of it. And he'll be able to live there indefinitely should he choose to because the house is equipped. Now, most of us... Uh, live in a house that we plan on staying in, not building a house, and it's harder to equip those houses. It's harder to equip an, ex equip an existing house than it is to build a new house with all the bells and whistles. But there are people out there who do that. Uh, matter of fact, we had a lady on one of our panels a couple years ago. Her name's Kendra Orcutt. With uh, she has a uh, occupation. She's an occupational therapist, but she does remodels and I think it's called home rehabs by therapists is the name of it and the reason that she started doing it is because so many of her folks um, that she did occupational therapy appointments in their home for needed renovations and so she just started doing it as a contractor and there are people out there that know how to do that stuff you call your regular home contractor and tell him you need a grab bar and you don't give him some guidance on where you want it you know where you end up getting it wherever he puts it <laughs> it could be up here, it could be down here, it could be over here, and then you go to use it and you go, well, who thought that was a good idea, right? Because they don't, they're not trained to think, oh, you need a grab bar, he's going to put it in the nearest stud, right? Hopefully he'll put it in a stud. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say, hopefully, but you don't know that it's in a stud unless you what? Check. Right? Or you've marked the stud yourself, right? So little things like that um, to get your home in order. We've had people who have uh, decided to stay in the same house that has a sunken living area, right, with a step down. That's a major, 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 major trip hazard. Major. And what happens is, by the way, the homeowner doesn't have a fault. The homeowner's going to be fine because they're used to it, but you're going to invite a friend over and they're going to not look, and they're going to just see the, the wood that goes to the wood, and it's six inches down, and they don't notice it, and guess what? They're going to fall, break a hip. So people have uh, rose, raised those up and, and, and leveled them. Uh, not all floors can be done that way, but a lot of them can. It's expensive, because a lot of times you have to reroute ventilation and things like that, right? But um, it can be done. Um, One of the things that I look at is the bathroom. Because uh, in staying in my own home, uh, and, and most, the, a walker won't even go in the bathroom right. because of the width of the doorways. Right. The doorways are smaller. Even if they're ADA, sometimes uh, for a disability, it still is not wide enough 
uh, for a wheelchair. So if I'm planning to stay in my own home and I'm doing some bathroom renovation, I should consider that. What, right. what is the impact of that? And if you're not sure, you know, our folks with Synergy and uh, Providence, and I don't know, Matt, do you guys do interim assessments for safety? Uh, okay, yes. They can? Okay. So, uh, Oklahoma Hospice, if you contact one of those folks and just say, look, I need a, an in-home assessment for safety features, and I come to the Senior Living Truth Series, Nikki said you guys do this, it may be complimentary or they may have a fee for it if they send an occupational therapist out or something, but it's worth having somebody who's trained to come out and take a look at that. Uh, speaking of the, the step-down floors and whatnot, you can also put rails in, right? Like you can put, like you would on a porch. You just put a porch rail in right there and then you tell people when they come in, we have a rail right there. It's, instead of the bookcase or the lamp, it's better to grab something a little more stable. It's all about planning It's all ahead. about planning ahead. Alright, so um, Marilyn, I'm going to have you speak to this because we kind of added this as a close and uh, the fact that when changes need to be made, it's based on criteria and not necessarily in years. Just because you're 65 doesn't make you vulnerable. I'm more than 65. Yeah. But I'm not vulnerable because I'm making some choices and I think the specific things that I'm referring to are situational. So in other words, I'm going to move in three years. That's a time period. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the situation happens. So when, when the toddler starts walking, that's when we want to have the plugs there to, to, right. in the, to prevent right. the, the gate on the stairway. Right. Right. Most of the young mothers these days baby proof their house before the kid's even born. Right. So they're thinking ahead. So to apply that same kind of thing in, in this uh, stage of life. So, uh, for example, um, when my mother lived with us, we talked a lot about um, what, what would be the win, and, and she said, I don't want to be a burden and all that. And so, because of the configuration of our house and so forth, we decided that if she were, if she became incontinent and she could not take care of it herself, that would that was my clue to myself, which would be a very difficult situation to make that decision. But by saying it in advance, I've got this line in the sand that will help me make that, that judgment. So uh, sort of like getting tickets, you know, when you get three tickets, then you've got to go to driving school again or whatever. So setting specific. Uh, when I can no longer walk without a walker, uh, when I have to have a walker, then I'm going to take these steps. So some behaviors right. that can be specified, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, I think that's that's so good. And you know... Um, and actually that's what assisted livings often look for. Can yeah. you transfer by yourself, you know, so... Well, and driving is a big one, right? And a lot of times that's the deciding factor. When I can no longer drive myself, then I will make a change, whatever that change is. Um, when my spouse passes away, I will make a change. If my spouse passes away, I will make a change. There are just, those are kinds of things. So it's kind of the if, then, then that scenario. And really walking through all of those and being realistic about the fact that any of them could happen to any of us at any time. Right? The difference is how easy or difficult would it be to adapt based on your circumstances. It's really often that I hear, uh, and I'm almost have said it myself, is as long as I can. Yeah. But that's not very definitive. It's not definitive at all. As long as I can pay the bills well, mm -hmm. but am I doing it well? Yeah. Uh, I mean, are, am I late? Am I, yeah. am I taking care of it wisely?
it's interesting. Um, the people that I interviewed for my dissertation, you know, the when they relocated, all the people I interviewed had relocated, and it was all across the board. There were uh, one couple said, "Well, we are no longer able to keep up the yard like we used to, and we've hired people to do it, but they don't do it like we want them to." And so we've decided that we're going to go ahead and move into something we don't have to maintain the yard. That was their if, then, then that thing. Uh, I've had people say, when the dog dies, I'm moving. Because that dog or cat or whatever pet it is they have is the reason they're staying put. That's their deciding factor. Um, if my daughter or son move out of state, then I'll make a change, that kind of thing. So it, that's, it, some of them are unforeseen, right? Uh, I'll tell you the one that creeps up on people uh, is stroke. Um, unfortunately, uh, strokes can occur um, and there are no symptoms, right? It's not like you can anticipate that it's going to happen. And if a stroke happens, then uh, some people are left with some paralysis and disability and others aren't. And so if you were to have that happen to you, what would be your plan? That's really, you know, when you look at it. Because people live through strokes all the time, right? They do. And my grandmother who did her plan was my sons will take care of me. And they did because they lived nearby. And uh, it was a pain. And they did it because that's what you do. But guess what? Her daughter who lived out of state didn't. And if her sons had lived out of state, who would have? Right? She didn't need a different plan. Nikki, it's really difficult for me to think of myself having a stroke. Yeah. So it's helpful sometimes to look at what's happening around me. Yeah. So if I see that in my church group or neighbors, mm -hmm. it's and then what would I do if I had that situation yeah. or this situation? And I'm going to say this because it just hit my heart. I don't know why or where it came from, but couples in the room and people that have couples that they know, um, we cover for each other, right? Lovingly, we do. And I see it all the time where one of the couple has a, uh, an illness or mental illness or something's going on, and the other person covers for them. And they haven't planned ahead for what's going to happen if the person covering for the other one passes away or has an illness. And so I'm just going to plead with you that if you have a spouse or know someone that has a spouse with dementia or a disease that's going to progress over time, causing them to not be able to care for themselves, that you have this hard conversation and that you create that plan. Um, it happens all the time where nobody knew the spouse passes away, they go, what happened? Everything was so fine, but it wasn't fine. It's just nobody knew that it wasn't fine. And they're hiding it. And I have a client right now, a friend, and he, bless his heart, I said, what happens if something happens to you? Do you have a plan? He said, well, no. He said, I'm just planning on outliving her. I said, well, that's not a good plan. Not a good plan. In fact, it often does not happen. It does not happen. Yeah. Okay, last couple minutes. Let's take questions if you have any. I know we've been talking a long time. So, do you have questions? And if so, what are they? Yes, ma'am? Where are good sources to get a home assessment? A home assessment, like for safety? Right. Um, so, you can contact, if you have uh, Medicare or your supplemental insurance, if you'll contact uh, an occupational therapy company, 
any occupational therapy, and I'll tell you, I would call Providence or Synergy first. They're our sponsors, and they're on that list that was on your table. And just ask them, say, do you all do a home assessment for safety, grab bars, that kind of thing? And if so, who does it, and what's the charge? Uh, I would guarantee you that the rehab centers can help you with that as well. So if you were to contact uh, Mercy Rehab or any of the major rehab centers, um, they probably have that. Again, there's going to probably be a fee and it's probably billable. My guess is it's billable. A lot of times this kind of thing, if your doctor recommends that you get one, then it, they make the referral right to, uh, to the, the occupational therapy or rehab company, then it's pretty much covered at that point. So if they tell you there's a charge, see if you can get a doctor referral. Within the village, we have a number of people who are early retired from community health service, and so we've done that for each other. Yeah. It's, a, it's a free thing. Sometimes it's just common sense. You can find a list of things just to check on yourself, just, just like, do I have loose rugs? I mean, you can go down a list yourself and find that. Absolutely. It's a good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, some of that durable medical equipment is paid for by Medicare. So the grab bars and, and, and things like that. So check on that as well if you do decide to input that stuff. Yes, Mary? If you have access to a wheelchair, But the other stuff is hard to figure out. So let me repeat what she said. She said, if you have access to a wheelchair, uh, borrow one, rent one, have somebody let you use theirs, and go out into your driveway and come in through the garage and through the front door and see just how much access you have or don't have and what the challenges would be throughout your house. Could you get it in and out of the bathroom? Could you get in and out of your cabinets from the wheelchair? Um, speaking from experience, right? Uh, you don't realize it until you're probably using it, whether or not you can access that stuff. We all know the cabinets way up there in our kitchen, we're not gonna be able to access, but guess what? You may not be able to access the ones right there that you use every day that have your plates and cups in them as well. And a walker as well. You know, they also, one of my clients I was telling you about that's 92, she has a walker that, uh, you know, collapses. Uh, it's like a V-shape. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, she, she has little bitty tiny little trails in her apartment, and she's able to navigate them pretty well with that walker. It's amazing uh, because she just collapses it and <laughs> holds it. I don't know how safe it is, but it's definitely usable. <laughs> yeah. This won't cost any extra, but this free tip. Yeah. But I have found that people who put a grab bar because um, most of the falls happen in the bathroom, in wet areas, and then the reason people don't get help is because they can't get to a phone. So uber, uber critical that you have a phone available to you in the bathroom. Yeah. Yes, Chris is telling me I have time, so I'm gonna ask if there's any last questions since I didn't leave a lot of time. Um, 
Takeaways from today. I'm just curious. How many of you took at least one thing away from today you're going to take action on? What are you going to do today? Tell me. I'm going to go into like an access Go and see if you can access every room in your house. Perfect. Good. I saw a hand over here. Yep. That's you. Yes. Initiate and open. Have open, frank conversations. Good. I saw a hand over here. Who said they were going to do something? Yes, sir. I'd like to run down one of those notebooks. Yeah. Afterward, talk to Marilyn, and uh, I'll tell you what, guys. If you haven't done a workshop called the Gift with the villages, and if you haven't joined the villages, I don't mean for this to be a pitch. They're not a for-profit business. They're not for profit. So I'm just going to tell you, if you're going to stay put and you're not joining a group like the villages, you're missing out. And so go ahead and talk to them because I think villages is offering that class to village members, right? If you're not a village member, there's a fee, is that correct? Yeah, okay, perfect. So hook up with Maryland right after this. I know they're doing one out at Spanish Cove, and they're doing one out at Radford Village, right, as soon as we're able to have group meetings, right? Am I right? Date to be determined. Date to be determined, yeah. I think we were supposed to in June or something, yeah. we're Maryland, but... So, did everybody take away something? So here's the thing, guys. Uh, we don't have a lot of sponsors here today, but we do have some that brought some materials that are very relevant to today's conversation. Please go pick those up. Uh, if you have a mask, we're going to tell you that it's optional. If you would like to wear it, please wear it. If you uh, do not want to wear it, you do not have to. But our sponsors are going to wear masks um, just for your safety. And so um, if there's anything that uh, we didn't cover, or you would like for us to cover uh, in a follow-up, please let us know. And please fill out your evaluations and give those to Jim in the back in the purple shirt. Um, and let us know on that evaluation if there's anything that you didn't get from today that you hoped you would. Then we can follow up with you and make sure that you get that. So To my friend over here who's going to have the hard conversation, I would say most People say it's harder than having the sex talk, but do it anyway. Yeah, awesome. Can we give Marilyn a hand and thank her for being up here? Appreciate you for coming out. We'll see you next month back here live again. And if you want to watch the replays, those will be on the website. They're all on the website at seniorlivingtruthseries.com. You guys make it a great day.